0: Well, good morning once again. I have the distinct honor and privilege this morning to bring a challenge for our graduates here at First Baptist Church. I hope and my prayer uh, is that this message will challenge and touch the hearts of those who are graduating, but I believe that it's an appropriate message for us during this time dealing with this worldwide global pandemic, which, Lord willing, we are beginning to uh, come out of the other side. But when we are examining life right now for our graduates, there is no doubt that graduation is supposed to be one of the most memorable times in a young adult's life. There's supposed to be a lot going on for them. Graduation parties and, and the last day of school and saying goodbye to classmates in the hallway and saying your tearful or maybe funny goodbyes to your friends at school and, and your favorite teachers. Maybe even a little bit of shenanigans on the last couple days of school. There's supposed to be your senior seasons and track and field and baseball and softball and, and your your meets and your final games and and your senior night for those things and you're supposed to be able to enjoy that season of life and it's been a very unique time in the world's existence in that you have not had the opportunity to do so many of those things for you the class of 2020 it's been very different it's been very different You have experienced at a fairly young age that life isn't fair. And while in the depths of your heart we all know that that is true, we still have a tendency to buy into the fallacy that life is supposed to be fair. You see, the reason we can be so easily deceived by that fallacy is that we have an enemy who wants to destroy our faith and our trust in the Lord. He wants to destroy our resolve to serving the one true God. And he tempts us with half-truths, like if God is truly sovereign, then why is this true? When you follow the Lord, disappointing things shouldn't happen to you. That's what the enemy wants to try to put into our brains that, you know, if you are following God and you're following the Lord, then disappointing things shouldn't be happening to you. And if God is allowing disappointing things to happen to you, then either he's not sovereign or he is not loving. But we know that that is not true. You see, I wish I could say to you that the worst thing that will happen to you in your lifetime is the pandemic happening during your senior year in 2020. But we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And our hope is not in the things of this world, but in God. And when we know Christ is our Savior, we should process the pain, the suffering, and the losses that we face differently than the world around us processes those As believers in Christ, we we know verses like James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. It will produce faithfulness in our life. And we know that God truly can and does work all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. We know these things are true. But perhaps in the back of your mind, whether you're graduating or simply one of us adults enduring these difficulties, perhaps you're wondering what do those things truly look like? How can I really live out my faith in a way that represents those truths to the world around me? I hope to examine God's word together this morning and to strengthen what I know you graduates know to be true. What all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should know to be true. And that is this. When you follow the Lord, He will never disappoint you. The world will disappoint you. The world will have catastrophes. The world will have brokenness. But when you follow God, He will never disappoint you. When you understand the character and nature of our loving God, you can put your trust in Him, and He will help you through the darkest moments and the most difficult circumstances that you will face. That includes right now if you're struggling with asking questions about why, and that includes later in life when you are facing difficulties. Someone who knows what it's like to face trials and difficulties in their life is Johnny Erickson Tata. And I wanted to share this quote with you as we begin our service and our sermon this morning. She says, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. There is no greater evidence of this than the cross of Jesus Christ. God permitted what he hates, the sacrifice of his own son, to accomplish what he loves. Salvation for all who put their trust in him. We are going to look at a biblical example of that kind of faith. Someone who understands that that God can even use the difficulties that we're facing in our life to prepare us for greater service to him, to prepare us for greater faith in him, to propel us on in our walks with him. And so we're going to look at the life of David, the shepherd boy who became the king of Israel and known as a man after God's own heart. And to do that, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Second Samuel 16, verses 5 through 11. If you have a Bible, open it to that passage now, but we'll actually be looking at it a, a little bit later. And if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. All of the verses that we're reading from Second Samuel will be on the screen for us when we read it together. So the verses that we're studying in 2 Samuel come from near the end of David's life and his reign as king over Israel. And so we're going to see the lessons, how lessons that David learned throughout his entire life kind of culminate in this one moment of great faith and trust in his God. And I hope that we can apply those truths to our lives as we seek to follow the Lord in these challenging times. So our first point this morning is David's unshakable trust. In order to fully understand the passage that we're looking at today, we need to understand a brief history of David's life. I want us to kind of step back from the text that we're looking at near the end of David's life and spend some time just making sure that everybody has a, a good brief overview of David's Life. And I know some of you that are listening this morning will be very familiar with the life of David. Others may know only of the major events in his life, whether that's his slaying of Goliath or being anointed as king or, or sinning with Bathsheba, etc. And still I know that there are others who are listening and watching who may know little or nothing about David's life. So because uh, the event that we're studying is near the end... I want us to see how David learned to have the kind of faith that would make the difference that we're going to observe in his life. So let's look together at, the, at some brief history of David's life. In 1025 BC, and these dates are, are the best that we can, uh, the best that some scholars can put together. They're not completely accurate, but around 1025, Samuel went to the town of Bethlehem and anointed David as the future king of Israel. He was somewhere between 10 and 12, maybe some scholars say up to 15 years old. And you can see that in First Samuel 16. And so very early on, we see that interaction where, where, where Samuel says, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart of David. And Saul has not been a good king who's been pursuing the Lord anymore. And so he wants to replace him with David. That is around 1025 A couple years later, he becomes a minstrel in in Saul's court because it was discovered that that he could play soothing music and on the harp, and and he had some gifts and talents in that sense. And so he becomes a servant in the court of Saul, the king who he's already been anointed to replace. And then around 1020 B.C., we see that that there was a war going on with the Philistines, and we see that that, uh, David goes up against the, the Philistine champion, Goliath, The shepherd boy kills Goliath with a single shot from his sling. If anybody knows any story about David, that's one that they probably know. And then around 1010 B.C., when Saul is in the process of hunting David down and trying to kill him because he knows what's going on, Saul, uh, he kicks him out of his court but makes him a commander in his army. And then David begins battling for, for King Saul and, and serving him in that. And, and he is just a, a mighty leader of the military. The men and the people begin to, to bring him accolades. They say that Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his tens of thousands. And then a few years later, David is on the run and threatened with bodily harm because of the jealousy of Saul that is rising up because he sees that the people are loving David. And then in 1005 B.C., David had an opportunity to slay Saul and become king. And he says, no, I'm not going to raise my hand to God's anointed until God removes him. I am not going to kill the man of God, even though he is trying to kill me. And then about 993 B.C., David is anointed as the king of Judah. He has some help from his allies and friends. However, the, the, the nation is still divided between Israel and Judah. And then later, David finally reigns over the united kingdom of Israel. That happens in about 993-ish. Many years after David was already anointed king. And then around 978, we see that David's son Absalom is conspiring against his own father to try to become the king, draw the loyalties of the people, and overthrow and usurp David from his throne. And in 976, David actually flees from Jerusalem because of Absalom's desire to overthrow him and become the king. And that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And then that brings us to our passage of Scripture, which is found in 2 Samuel chapter 16. And what I want us to see is that I want us to see that that David finds peace independent of circumstances. In, in, In all that we're going to look at in 2 Samuel, I want us to see and to understand that David's peace does not come from the circumstances that he faces, does not come from what he endures It comes from his relationship with God. Whether whether things are going well for him as king, whether he's failing and falling into sin, his peace and his comfort always comes from his relationship with his heavenly Father. So now let's look together at 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemiah, the son of Gera, and, and as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shemiah said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But, but the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David... Who then shall say why have you done so? And David sent Abishai and all of his servants. He said to all uh, Abishai and all his servants, "Behold, my own seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today." So David and his men went out on the road while Shemiah went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. I think this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. When we consider all the ups and downs that David faced in his life, He finds himself in this situation where he's being cursed and mocked and belittled. And for all of the faults that David had, he was a man after God's own heart. He desired to see the Lord honored. And he had failings where he counted armies when he shouldn't have. And he had failings where he sinned with Bathsheba. He had some terrible failings and sins in his life. But David never made excuses. And so we're going to look at a few excuses that that he could have made that oftentimes the world tells us we should make, that oftentimes Satan is whispering in our ear, tempting us to believe that this is true. And so excuse number one is you will never overcome your past. You see, this is something that the enemy uses in the life of so very many Christians. The enemy uses accusations from your past. And some may be true, and many may be false. But the enemy uses them to try to destroy us, to try to destroy our faith, to try to dissuade us from walking with Christ. The enemy uses those things to put guilt and doubt in our lives, so that we question whether God truly can forgive all of the sins that we have committed. That is what the enemy tries to do. And if, you'll, and if you'll see that this enemy of David brings up all of these things, some of which may be true. He had fought many battles. He had killed many men. He had done some things that were, were not in God's will. So when he says, see, your evil is on you, you are a man of blood. Some of that may be true and some of that may be false. But that is not What I want us to focus on. You see, you can notice that David never addresses these accusations. He never makes justification. He never says, well, yes, but I was okay. Uh, I repented of those things. He, He doesn't address those things at all. He instead focuses on his relationship with the Lord because I believe that David knew what forgiveness from God truly looked like in his life. He doesn't need to defend himself. He doesn't even feel the need to do that. And notice he also doesn't minimize the things that he may have done wrong. He doesn't say, oh, yes, but, but that's no big deal. Instead, he just understands that that, that, that is a, a lie from the devil, that you will never overcome your past is not true. David understood that, that he had over, overcome his past, not because of who he was, not because of the things he had done since those events took place, but because he knew the one true God. The one who could give mercy, grace, and forgiveness. You see, David understood that the enemy wants to use some of the events of his past to destroy him. And David isn't going to fall into that trap. A second excuse that the world oftentimes tries to to level at us that could have easily been used by David is this. The world says, this is not right. This is not fair. We addressed that a little bit in the beginning in my introduction. But it's so easy for us to to fall into that mentality of this isn't fair. I'm a man of God. I have lived my life serving the people of Israel and serving my one true Lord. It isn't right that I have to face this man hurling insults at me and throwing stones at me. I shouldn't have to endure that. Look at what happens in verse 9. See, see, it's important to note that, that even though this man is leveling these accusations at David, David is surrounded by his people, his servants, and his mighty men of valor. Abishai says, David, king, let me take off his head. I can fix this problem right quick. This isn't fair that he's leveling these accusations at you. Let me just eliminate that troublemaker, and we can wipe our hands of this and be on our way. But, but that's not what David is interested in. David knew his mighty men had handled much greater threats. He knew that they could have gone and, and wiped this man off of the face of the earth. He knew that he could have eliminated the curses and, and the problems by just taking matters into his own hand, literally taking a sword into his own hand, and taking care of his enemies. But David doesn't fall into that excuse. David doesn't fall into that trap. David doesn't question what is going on. And we're going to continue to unpack that with this next excuse that we're going to look at. The next excuse that we see is, but you don't know how bad things are for me right now. You know, Class of 2020, all of us enduring this pandemic, all of us who are, are looking at our broken, sinful world and, and the, the rioting that's going on and the injustices that are taking place in our world, we, it would be so easy for us to look at our world and say, this is so broken, this is not fair, and nobody can understand how bad things are for me right now. Nobody can understand the difficulty that I am going through. But I just want you to see from the life of David in this passage that that that's not true. So very many people have gone through difficulties. In fact, look at verse 11. We read, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite leave him alone. You See, no matter how bad things have gone in my life, I I have never had a son who has wanted to take my life. I have never been walking down the road and had somebody cursing at me and throwing stones at me and telling me that they wished that I were dead and all manners of curses being hurled at me. I have not had to endure that. David has endured that and so much more. And all of those lessons that he learned early in his life by, by being anointed king and having to wait patiently on God and then being called to serve in the, in the house of the man who he was to replace as, as a musician, a minstrel. right, And then being sent in to fight in his army and, and to do his bidding. And then to be on the run because the people were, were rallying around David and loving him and calling for praises, heaping praises upon him. Because, you see, David learned from those lessons that that it's not about the praise. It's not about the adoration. It's not about constantly riding high and enduring the lows so you can get back to better circumstances in your life. David understood that, that there were going to be difficulties and bad things that he would face in this world. And that God knows him. He knows his heart. He knows all that David is enduring. And let me tell you this morning no matter what you are enduring this morning, no matter what trials you are facing, no matter what persecution you may be walking through in your life, even if no other person, no other man or woman on the face of this earth understands, God knows. God knows us. The curses being hurled on David were, were nothing to the pain that he was, I'm sure, enduring at that moment as his son was wanting him dead and hunting him down simply so he could usurp him and take over his throne. And, and you know, sometimes we human beings tend to hyperbolize or exaggerate the circumstances. And, and David's not exaggerating. It's not like he's saying, yeah, and my son wants me dead. David's son wanted him dead, beyond a shadow of a doubt. That is what Absalom was hoping for. So I don't want to minimize any struggles that anyone may be facing or enduring at this time. But David understands what it means to go through real, painful, gut-wrenching trials in his life. But the point is, is that his strength and his faith in God is his faith in God is the strength that helps him to walk through those trials his strength in God or his faith in God is his strength that helps him to endure all the persecution that he is facing his strength in God is what helps him to overcome those obstacles real imagined made up it doesn't matter david understood when i fix my eyes on god The one who has sustained me for all of these years in my life, he will sustain me through these times as well. David understood that that God was sovereign. And he says, you know, I I can walk with him. So let's examine David's response and, and what was so amazing and powerful about David's response. I want us to understand this. David's response was, trust in God who will never disappoint. Trust in God, who will never disappoint. David demonstrated a complete dependence upon God through this trial. We've already noted when we read that David didn't demand his rights, even though he was king, right? He wasn't just Chad. He wasn't just some schmuck off the street having curses hurled at him. He was king, the rightful ruler of Israel. The one who is sitting on the throne. He has servants. He has mighty men with him. He has rights and privileges that I can't imagine. And yet not once does he say, I demand my rights. Look at how he responds in verse 10. If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And again, farther down in verse 12, he says, let him curse for the Lord has told him to David understands the sovereignty of God. And David understands, possibly built into this, that that he has maybe earned some of those harsh feelings. And so he doesn't try to, to minimize any of those things. But he understood that the sovereign God, the ruler, the creator of the universe, was allowing him to face this persecution and difficulty in his life. And he wasn't going to question it. He wasn't going to question God. We don't question God when he brings good and blessings into our life. But oftentimes, when, when, when difficulties and persecutions and trials come into our life, that's when we question God. David wasn't going to be that double-minded person at th- this point in his life. He had learned from his past mistakes where, where he would, would give into his flesh, where he would allow temptation and, and the tempter to, to lead him astray. And he gave in to his weakness. But now he says, I am going to allow God to be God. And I am not going to question him. You see, I am currently transitioning out of my youth pastor roles and responsibilities here at First Baptist Church. So likely, this is the last graduation message that I will preach to this church. And the name of our ministry for all these years has been Beyond High School Ministry. And, and the purpose of that fits very well with this passage. And I think it fits very well for this graduating class and, and what they are enduring. You see, the purpose of, and goal of our ministry has been to prepare young men and women to walk with God their entire life lives. Not just for the four years that they're in high school. From the time that they are born to their parents and brought to this church and, and hopefully raised in godly homes and in our Sunday school classes and in our Awana and, and all of the Bible study programs and going to our vacation Bible school and 24-7 and eventually coming to the high school. The goal is to not just have them serve well for the four years while they are in high school. All of that is to prepare them to be godly, young men and women with vibrant walks with Christ who will go out and impact their world right where they live and possibly to the ends of the world, earth because they know God's desires for his name and fame and glory to be proclaimed to all people. That has been our desire for the ministry here all these years that I have been serving. And we pray that the experiences that you, graduating class, have had in this church, in these ministries, the good and the bad, That God will work all of them together for good to prepare you for a life of service and commitment to the one that you love more than anything, to the one that you worship, to the one that you desire to walk with all the days of your life. David's life demonstrates what that's supposed to look like, how that's supposed to work. David's life demonstrates how we can accomplish that even through the difficulties, the trials, the failures, they can bring us to the point where we can have this vibrant relationship with God and honor Him greatly with our lives. I think Charles Stanley sums this up best, what this looks like in David's life. He says this, In times of extreme pressure, God stretches our faith and deepens our dependence upon Him. Without a strong, abiding faith, we can quickly yield to temptation and fear especially when the trial or difficulty is intense or prolonged. God developed David's trust until it became unshakable. It was clear that David's faith sustained him, that his faith was unshakable at this point in his life. He didn't have to face any trial on his own, and he knew that. He could run to the one who loved him more than anything. And that is the way it should be for all of us especially those who know Christ as our Savior. We have the blessings of being on the opposite side of the cross than David did. We have the blessings of, of knowing the promises of God that he's written to us in his word. We have the promise of Romans ten eleven 11 that, that when we're all in this together is the best that the world has to offer us. We can claim, Romans ten eleven that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. Yes, we're all in this together as the body of Christ, but that's the best advice the world has to give. And I tell you that Romans ten eleven is so much greater than that. Because it's not that we're in this together, but that the one who is in us will not allow us to be put to shame. Deuteronomy 23, 5 tells us, the Lord your God turned curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loved you you will suffer losses, you will face trials, you will face injustice. You will face the death of a loved one or a friend, someone that is close to you. You will face difficulties. And it's okay to grieve those losses. Whether it's the death of a loved one or a loss that we face in our life, it is okay for us to grieve. But we're told not to grieve as the world grieves. Because we have a hope that the world cannot understand. We have a hope that will never be put to shame. We know Christ. If you know Christ, you can truly trust all of your life to him because he will never disappoint you. And he will use every trial in your life to prepare you to serve him. They will not be wasted. Unless you don't allow him to work. But see, if you are outside of Christ. You don't have that hope. You don't have that knowledge. You don't have the joy that comes from knowing Christ as Savior. But in Christ, we have the hope of eternal life, the promise that he will never disappoint us. In Christ, we have a relationship with God that that doesn't mean that nothing will ever go wrong, but that he will always be with us. He will never leave us, never forsake us when we're going through those difficulties. But I do want us to understand that you will face difficulties in this life. Look at the end of our passage. Look at verse 14. Even though David made this beautiful stand for his love and faith in God, it was exhausting. In verse 14, we, we read that he, he, was, he arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. David was exhausted, and he needed to be refreshed. Refreshed. There's no doubt in my mind that that refreshing on the side of the Jordan was probably worshiping the one that he just said, I trust in you. I trust my life to you, God. And I know that you will never disappoint me. You know, there's a lot that we can learn from the godly life of men and women who have gone before us, men like David, but also women like Cory Ten Boom. She is another great example of great faith. She was a Dutch Christian watchmaker and author of The Hiding Place based upon her life experience where she and her family were helping Jews to escape Nazi uh, Germany and the Holocaust. She and her family helped many many Jews escape by hiding them in her home. And later she wrote about her experiences and she said this, Today I know that such memories are the key not to the past but to the future. I know the experiences of our lives when we let God use them become the mysterious and perfect preparation for the work he will give us to do. Class of 2020, I don't know the work that God has for you to do, but I do know this. If you will allow God to take your life circumstances, the good, the bad, the trials, the hurled insults, the accusations, the blessings, the joys. If you will allow God to give, if you will give all of those things to God, he wants to work them all together for good and to build you into the man or woman that he will use to proclaim his name to the ends of the earth. My hope is that you will understand this truth, that we will all apply this truth to our lives that we will know Christ as our Savior, we will have that relationship with God, and that we will have a hope that will never be put to shame because God will never disappoint us. At this time, we're going to close the service by singing the song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. First, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing that song together. And then, for those that are interested, we're going to play a song by a Christian hip-hop artist, Ty Brazzle, called Paid For It. It's a great summation of what we've talked about here, the truths that we've looked at, looked at from God's word. And if that's not your cup of tea, the beauty of this video is that you can simply hit the stop button. But for those of you who would like to listen to that, I hope you'll be challenged by the words that he shares with us. At this time, let's close in prayer together. Lord God, sovereign ruler, Of the universe. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for the hope that we have in Jesus. That our sins, our failures, all the trials we endure. That he took all of that on the cross of Calvary. To accomplish our salvation so that we could have eternal life. And a relationship with you. That we would have the promised Holy Spirit guiding and directing us every day of our lives. Father, we have blessings that that David in some ways did not know. And yet he walked so faithfully with you at the end of his life. He took this stand for you. Father, we pray for our graduates. We pray that you would help them to be men and women of great faith. We pray that you would use all that you have brought them through in, up to this point in their life. That you would put that together in such a way that they are propelled and compelled to serve you in the world around them. I thank you for their accomplishments. I thank you for the way that they have walked with you. And Father, for those that don't know you, I pray that you will use this time in their life to reflect on their need for Christ. Oh, Father, for all that don't know Jesus, may they put their hope in him and know that they will never be put to shame because of it. Father, now we thank you for this time. We pray that you would continue to teach us all these lessons as we celebrate the graduating class of 2020. And we praise you for this time spent together. In Jesus' name, amen.